You are listening to the podcast of Anthem Church in Columbia, Missouri. For more information, visit us online at anthemcolumbia.com. Morning, everybody. Are you hearing me? Oh, there it is. Hey, hey, everybody. Um, I'm wearing the retro jersey from Salt Company. This is the old school one. Yeah, it's the throwback. I don't have the new one yet. Um, but I'm wearing the throwback. My name's Todd. I'm an elder here at Anthem Church. Uh, I have the privilege of teaching the Bible to you guys. So thank you for the opportunity you guys give me to do this. I, I really do love it. I love spending time studying and thinking and losing sleep and having weird dreams and feeling inadequate and getting good feedback and then trying harder. <laughs> and all of it. I enjoy all of it. I love it. It's hard and good work, and I really love it. So thank you for the opportunity. Uh, today we're in Psalm 32. And uh, as a teacher, it's fun because this psalm actually, you'll notice some of these psalms give us uh, like a, a, a pregame <laughs> pep talk. They tell you kind of what's going on. This one uh, tells us something about it, which is helpful. It says it's a mascal of David. And so uh, that's helpful because a mascal means it's teaching. It's meant to teach. So it's a song set, it's a sermon set to music. It's meant to be instructive. Um, and so the topic of uh, his teaching is sin and forgiveness and uh, he breaks it down into five lessons. Um, and some of you, uh, I was telling people at, at teacher's meeting, uh, it'll come as some relief to you that it's not just me up here saying what Todd thinks you guys should hear. Uh, we meet together and we, we talk, me and Luke and Stan go over all these ahead of time. And they were like, you can't tell people that. You can't tell people you're going to do five lessons on a, on a Sunday morning in August. You'll lose some people before you even start. Like five lessons, that's too many. <laughs> There's food cooking. I have things to do. Let's go. Um, but, but let me ask you this, if I said, for, to some of you, if I said, on the authority of God, I can tell you in five lessons, if you write these down, your baby will sleep through the night. Some of you would have your notebooks out being like, five, let's do this. Give me all of them. And I promise you, on the authority of God, it will happen. That baby will sleep <laughs> through the night. Or what about if I said, in five lessons, uh, I can guarantee on the authority of God himself, I promise you, you will lose weight. You'll love what you look like in the mirror. Amen. Five, you're, five, you're like, five? That's not, I, I can do five. <laughs> you'd, be, you'd have that notebook out ready to go. Or if I said, you can get out of debt, and I promise you, on the authority of God, you will have money in your bank account. Five lessons, that's it. There's people who like, are renting out hotel conference centers, <laughs> doing that kind of thing, saying, I promise you, you can have money. And they're usually 12 lessons, or seven, or whatever they need to sell their book. Um, so what I'm saying is five isn't too many when we're talking about this, because the biggest problem in our life is sin. And the greatest thing we could ever come in contact with is forgiveness. So that is lesson number one. We, don't, we think our problems are, aren't, aren't in proportion to what they really are. We think our biggest problem is liking what we look like in the mirror. Or getting that kid to sleep through the night. Or getting that uh, bank account to look the way we want it to. Or, you know, how about this for you single people? In five lessons, I promise you, you will be married. <laughs> you single people, all you want, who want that, I promise you, five lessons, write them down. On God's authority, I promise you, it will happen. You'll be like, oh man, I'm taking notes feverishly. <laughs> um, I promise you, in five lessons, you will learn about sin, and I promise you, on the authority of God, you will be forgiven if you follow the teaching that David is laying out for us in Psalm 32. So lesson number one, sin is worse than we think it is. It is our biggest problem, not all the other things. Those things may be real problems. I like sleep, 
and I have lots of kids, so I haven't gotten a lot of it. <laughs> so it is a problem when you're tired. It is a problem when you're slangry or hangry or whatever version of angry uh, being induced by your situation it is. Look at verses 1 and 2 if you found your way to Psalm 32. It says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. So right out of the gate, he wants to say sin is worse than we think it is. And, and so he could have just said, blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven and moved on. But he uses three different words because sin is worse than we think it is. It's a bigger problem than we think it is. And the first word he uses is transgression. If you're an underliner, if you have, that's a, we're going to have three words for sin, transgression, sin, and iniquity. If you're an underliner, those would be your underlying words. Transgression is what we usually think of sin is. It's, it's literally rebellion. Uh, I don't particularly have a vested interest in walking on your grass I don't really care about your house or your lawn until you put up a sign that says, keep off the grass. And all of a sudden I'm like, I kind of want to go on that grass. I don't know why. <laughs> Something about that house that, with the yellow tape that's like, this condemned is like, I kind of want to go in that house. <laughs> What's so special in there? Why won't they want me to let me in? Anytime our freedom is restricted, rebellion comes out. Not every time, but sometimes you've been there, right? Like you felt that, like, because you told me I can't, I kind of want to now. There's something in me that wants to do that. That's what we typically think of when we think of sin. It's doing something we're not supposed to do. And that is sin, and it's the first one he addresses here right out of the gate. It, the way the catechism would say it is, it is doing something God forbids. God says don't, and you do it. That's sin, right? We all know that. That's the easy one. But then he uses a second word. He uses the word sin, um, which in Hebrew is actually the idea of falling short. So this is a different thing. So the first thing is doing something you're not supposed to. The second sin is not doing something you are supposed to. This one gets missed by most people. Most religious church people will tell you they're a Christian because they don't, 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 don't. That's why I'm good. I don't dance. I don't have sideburns. I don't <laughs> play cards. <laughs> I don't have a Netflix account. I don't even, you know, have a TV. <laughs> I'm, I'm the Christian of Christians. I, I, I've reached the top because I don't do anything. <laughs> like all that's all God wants me to just go live in a hole and not do anything and God, to God be the glory. Um, but there's a bigger problem than that. Like there's stuff that God, the way the catechism would say it is like uh, that you are not doing or being something God requires you to be or do, right? So there's another kind of sin. These are sins of omission. You didn't do something you were supposed to do. So commission, you committed a sin. You did something you weren't supposed to. Omission, you failed to do something you were supposed to do. And this is actually uh, Romans 3.23, the verse that we usually think of when we talk about we're all sinners, um, we're all in the same boat, the ground is level at the foot of the cross, insert thing you've heard about sin there. This is the verse we go to, right? All have sinned, all of us, and fall short of the glory of God. When he says that, he's talking about you fall short. Like the word in Hebrew is actually like an archery term. It means there is a target and you missed it. So this isn't like making mistakes, like, or, and this isn't I did something I wasn't supposed to do. This is, there is a target and you didn't do what you were supposed to do. So loving the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. When you don't do that, it's a sin to fall short of what you were supposed to do. God made you to do that. So we often miss that one. A lot of religious people especially miss that one because their, their confidence is in all the stuff they're not doing. But then they fail to do the things. And Jesus even said it to the Pharisees, you guys tithe from your spice rack. Like you're so legalistic. That's great. But you miss the bigger stuff like love, justice. Like you miss the, the weighty stuff of the things you're supposed to do. It's not just not doing stuff. It's stuff you're supposed to do. And then he uses a third term here just to, that kind of uh, even colors it in more. He uses the word iniquity. 
And that word in Hebrew is like the idea of corruption or perversion. It's twisting something. And so this is kind of a categorically different sin in that it's redefining reality to better suit your needs. So it's, it's changing the name of the game. So I have a verse up here from Isaiah where God points this out. Um, and yeah, there's going to be a lot of slides today, but some of that's because we're outside and I didn't know if it might just be helpful to see stuff. So we're going to blitz through them though. Um, so Isaiah 5.20, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. So here's, here's the, the person, the person like, I know I'm not supposed to do this. So what if we call that good? Like, I know I'm not supposed to do this kind of sin, but what if that sin was actually something good? Now I've fixed the problem. <laughs> like, you just changed the game. You're like, well, I know I'm not supposed to do evil things, so let's call evil things good, and now I'm a good doer. This is, so this is like a categorically different thing. You're just stepping outside of the whole system and saying, I'll just change the game, and that way I'm not a sinner because I've changed the definitions. What you say is bad, I say is good. So I'm good. Um, and so we see when we consider all this together... Sin is worse than we usually think of it, right? When you think of sin, if I had asked you to write down a definition, you probably would have said the first one, doing something you're not supposed to. But we see it's a much bigger problem in God's sight. Sin is worse than we think it is. That's lesson number one. Lesson number two is that grace is greater than we think it is. You came in here thinking that you were forgiven for stuff you shouldn't have done. You were forgiven far more than that. And that is really good news. Uh, it was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved. Like, bad news, understanding the bad news, understanding that uh, we were in bondage only punctuates the liberation you have now. So appreciating how bad it was helps you appreciate how good it is to be free. Uh, and grace is greater than we think it is because our sins are great, but God is greater. God is greater, and his grace is bigger than our sins. So he matches it, apples to apples, three sins, three forms of grace. So if you're a Bible person, like I, you could circle these to, to differentiate them to make them different than the other ones, but um, we have forgiven, covered, counts, no. So they're, they're paired up on each of the sins that he lays out, sins worse than you thought it was. Guess what? I'm right there for you on all of them. It's worse than you thought it was, but I'm there in things you didn't even know that you needed to repent of. I'm there waiting to forgive. And so the first word he uses is forgiveness, which is the idea of lifting off. Like it, it lifts off. And some of you experience this way. A lot of times we feel sin is like a weight. And you'll even say, like, it felt so good to get that off my chest. Because it felt like something was weighty and it was pressing on you. And that's how we experience sin. That's how we experience condemnation when we feel like it's pressing in on us. And God wants to meet us at that place and lift it off. He wants to lift off the weight. He wants you to feel the weight so that when he lifts it off, you understand and appreciate what has just happened. And so uh, Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus said it this way, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, people who feel it. Is that you this morning? Do you feel the weight? When you think about sin, you're like, ugh, ugh, I feel it. And I will give you rest. He gives you rest by partnering with you. He comes alongside later in the, in the verses and says, take my yoke upon you. Like, you'll still have a yoke, but now you're yoked to me and my shoulders are broad and I will carry it. and it will not feel as heavy as it does right now and you will link yourself to me and you will feel the weight lifted off and you will appreciate the fact that he's right there and like, and when you see the plow being pulled and your life becoming fruitful and full of righteousness, you'll know that it's Jesus pulling right next to you is what's accomplishing that and you won't feel the weight of sin anymore. And the second word he uses is covers. He says he'll cover um, the... Uh, sin will be covered. And so we all know this. We all know that sin has to be covered. 
We, we feel it. And it goes all the way back to the garden. I got a couple uh, slides to walk you through this. Genesis 2.25. Perfect world. No sin. Man, wife, naked, no shame. Just did a wedding yesterday. Awesome. Like that is the image of, of the gospel is to be naked and unashamed, to be completely known, opened up. There's no dark chambers being hidden from anything and you feel okay about it. Wouldn't that be a great feeling to be known and loved? Not just loved for who people think you are, but for who you actually are. All the things you don't like about yourself, they know that and they love you anyways. Wouldn't that be great? So that's the world before sin. That's what it's like. Then sin enters the world. And then look what happens in Genesis 3 verse 7. The first thing they do, right? The first thing they do when they sin, Adam and Eve sin, they fall into sin. The, the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. They've always been naked. That's not brand new information. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Why? Because sin has to be covered. Shame needs to be covered. That's why people who feel dirty take showers. That's why people hide things. Because they feel dirty. They feel unclean. They feel like they have to hide that. We intuitively know that sin needs to be covered. That's why we don't rush to connection group to be like, guess what I did this week? I disrespected my wife and totally, like we don't run into, we don't post pictures on Facebook. Like, here's me losing my temper on my kids. (laughs) Share, please share, (laughs) comment, (laughs) subscribe. (laughs) Like we don't do that. We know it needs to be covered. We know that by nature, but look what God does. Genesis 3.21. So he sees them. He comes to them trying to hide themselves. He says, Adam, where are you? Adam's like, I don't know how long he holds out, but he's like, here I am. (laughs) And eventually he comes out and he's like, you know, sheepishly like, oh man, this is rough, you know, in his little fig leaf like thing. You've seen the, you know, Michelangelo or whatever. Well, that one he doesn't even have, he's naked in that one. Um, But anyways, you, you get the picture. He's in his little, he's embarrassed, he's covered. And what does God do? The Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Sin has to be covered, but your attempts to cover it don't cut it. I mean, and just practically, you can't live life walking around with a leaf covering yourself. <laughs> it's not going to work very well. You'll, you'll find yourself uncovered very quickly. <laughs> you know, a little breeze pops up. I mean, I have my notes <laughs> paper clipped down. <laughs> Imagine if I was covered in a fig leaf and a little breeze came up. Like, that's no good for anybody. <laughs> Nobody wants that situation. God's covering is better. And not only that, he recognizes that and he goes out of his way. They didn't ask for better coverings. They were content to cover it themselves. And he said, that's not good enough. I have something better in store. And so animals are killed to provide skin to cover them. Blood, even like we're seeing it in the beginning of Genesis, we're seeing this thing, like something's gonna have to happen bigger than just you doing something in order to cover how bad this really is. But God is wanting to take the initiative and cover you. It's good that you know you need to be covered. God wants to cover you. And the last one he uses is counts no. So he counts no iniquity, or some of your translations may say, does not count and so uh, this is a bookkeeping term, because right? it sounds like it's a, it's a ledger. You know, is, are you in the black? Are you in the red? Do you have your Excel spreadsheet? Are the numbers working right? And in this case, like sin is a, is a deficit. It's a negative. It's debt. We, we, scripture talks about sin that way. It's a debt that you owe. Um, and God doesn't just fix the problem just by pretending you don't actually owe anything. It's not just like a, a, a forgiveness program where he's like, yeah, you know that debt? Whatever. He doesn't just wink at it and like a grandpa watching his kid, grandkids. It's like, you know, I know you're not supposed to have that, uh, you know, ice cream, but wink, wink. <laughs> what mom doesn't know doesn't matter. You're like, 
like, I have parents, and they have grandkids, and, like, you see this play out, you know, like, they just, they, the rules are different with grandparents, because, like, ah, what mom and dad says is bad, isn't that bad, just go ahead. That's not what God does. Like, the sin has to go somewhere. Like, the debt has to be paid somehow, because God wouldn't be good if he just pretended, like, the things that you've done aren't bad. And he wouldn't be good to pretend, like, the things that were done to you weren't bad. You don't want God just to, to wink at sin. Because that would mean the things that have been done to you don't matter. It would mean all the times that somebody has hurt you and sinned against you don't count. Now, if you're a Christian, you understand that Jesus paid the price, so you can forgive that person because I'm free. But if you're not, like, some, like that sin, you're like, well, what if, if that just doesn't count? So I'm just like, no justice for me? Like, I just, that bad thing happened, and like, God's just like, well, too bad. I really like that guy. He's really handsome. I mean, I'm sorry. What do you want me to do? God does something. John 19, verse 30, we see Jesus on the cross dying for sin, and he says these words, it is finished, which is a banking term, literally meaning paid in full. The debt has to go somewhere. It can't just evaporate. Sin is too solid just to go away. That is why Jesus came, was to die. Because of sin is worse than we think it is, but grace is greater than we could ever imagine. He comes and he dies for the very thing that's worse than we ever thought it was. And only God can shoulder the weight of our sin. Moving on, verses 3 and 4, if you're in Psalm 32. Only God can do this for us. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, and my strength was dried up by the heat of the summer. Selah. Here's lesson three. No problem is so bad that you can't make it worse. (laughs) Have you discovered that? Like somebody, you're in a bad situation and then you handle it poorly. <laughs> it only makes it worse. Like nothing is so bad that you can't make it worse. Just to have faith, you can always ruin something more than it's already ruined. Just take comfort in knowing that, that you can make things worse. And, and we see that here. He makes it worse. He, he doesn't initially take God's offer of lifting off, of covering, of, of, of leveling the books. Instead, he tries to do it himself. He tries to lift the burden off his chest himself. He tries to cover his own sin. He tries to, to make up for it by being really good. Well, maybe if I do enough good things, maybe if I go to church, maybe I'll even join a connection group. Maybe if I do enough good, it'll balance the ledger. He's like, when I did that, my bones wasted away. It only got worse. My attempts to solve the sin problem only makes the problem deeper and harder. Look at 2 Corinthians 7.10 where Paul says it this way. He says, godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. If you recognize that sin is bad and so you know that something has to be done about it, you recognize that, so you try to cover it yourself. You're, you're acknowledging something has to be done. You try to lift it off yourself because I can't live with this weight. You try to make accounting add up because you can't live in debt. Like You, you recognize the weight of it if you do it just on your own, it produces death. And I think if you finish his thought out, he would say, whereas worldly grief produces death, that leads to more death with regret. Like it's, you just follow the parallel all the way out. You will regret the fact that you rejected the one offer of hope that was given to you. You should feel bad about sin, but not, you shouldn't stay there. <laughs> grief is meant to do something. It's meant to produce something. And it will either produce repentance that leads to salvation, or it will produce the shame spiral of despair. I can't do it. I can't figure it out. Everything I do just makes it worse. It keeps breaking. I can't do this. It's 
getting harder, worse. My bones are wasting away. I just feel like, ugh. What David is urging you to do is to repent. Let that discomfort lead you to something, and may it be repentance, which is just a fancy way of saying, agree with God on this. Say, what you've provided, I will accept. I won't try and invent a new way to get to heaven. I'll just say, I feel like you know what you're talking about. (laughs) I feel like you're the expert maybe on this. I feel like you're the example on this. I will follow your lead. So David does this. Look at verse five. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. All three sins show up. You see that? Transgression, sin, iniquity. All of it. David's like, you know what? That's me. I've done all those things. There's things I've done that I shouldn't have. There's things that I'm supposed to be doing that I'm just too lazy or... I just can't bring myself to do it and I fall short. And I've changed the game on occasion to try and justify it to people when they've called me out. I've said, well, it's not what it looks like. It's actually good. It's better than what you think it is. I've done all that, David says. And he, and he proceeds each one of them by the word my. He doesn't repent of our sin. He doesn't say like, we can all agree the world sucks, but I don't personally suck. <laughs> like sin is out there somewhere, I'm sure. And we live in a fallen world. And, but, but he owns it. He says, my iniquity. This is mine. I did this. So he acknowledges it. He doesn't cover it anymore. And he confesses it, which is, again, that word. It's actually, in the Hebrew, use the same words. So you call it adultery? That's what I'm going to call it. I'm not going to say I had an affair. That sounds like like prom. Prom's an affair. (laughs) Adultery is something different. I didn't tell a fib. I lied. Like those, those words sound very differently. Like one's biblical and one is a way of soft pedaling it so you don't feel the sting of it. David says, I'm going to use the words that you use for what I did. And I'm going to own it and say, mine. And I'm going to say, please, I'm going to put it all out there. I'm not going to cover it. I'm going to trust you to cover it. I'm not going to try to account for it. I'm going to say, you account for it by what you offer. And I'm going to receive what you said as my only hope. And so David, in this teaching, is urging, that's what I did, and he wants you to do that today. That's his application point. I want you to do that, is what he's saying. Because look at lesson four. Forgiveness will not always be an option. And David wants you to know this because it's important. Look at verses six and seven. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble and you surround me with shouts of deliverance. Selah. Just like we sang in that last song. You surround me with shouts and songs of deliverance. That's what David wants you to, to, to lean into and to take advantage of because forgiveness will not always be an option. People are not in hell until they say uncle. It's too late. They're not just down there until, you know, like a, in time out. Until they're like, okay, God, you win. Okay, uncle. And he's like, okay, come back. It's all good. It's too late. And Hebrews 9.27 says, for it has been appointed once for each man to die, and then comes judgment. We all live once, and we all die once, and then that's it. Ecclesiastes says, wherever a tree falls, there it lays. It's over. But it's not over. Right now, it's not over. If you can hear me, you have the chance to do what David is saying. Repent today. Agree with God. Just accept what he has given to you. And even use this as an example. You see that's kind of weird. You're like, why are we talking about water all of a sudden? It's like, surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. He's calling to mind the days of Noah. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. You know how long it takes to build a boat by yourself? I don't, but I'm guessing it's a long time. <laughs> I mean, you, you, without a manual, without YouTube, 
very long time to build, and not just like a boat to go like fish for trout. Like he's building a boat to survive a worldwide flood. It's a big thing, and it has to also have all the animals in it. Okay, so it's big. Takes a while. He was swinging that hammer, telling people about righteousness for a long time. And as long as you were hearing him, you had the chance to repent. And then it started to rain. And then Noah and his family got on the ark. And scripture says that God himself closed the door. And after that, the door was closed. We see that in the scriptures and Jesus talking about parables of people knocking, but it's too late. I don't know when the rain started to, to pour, like people were like, oh man, he was, he was right. It's too late. Like there is a, David is saying, seek God while there's an opportunity. Don't make this your 11th hour deathbed repentance plan. Like if you are hearing me today, do not harden your heart today. Repent today because you don't know if you will have another chance. And he wants you to take advantage of it. He's not saying this because he wants you to leave scared. He wants you to repent and get on the boat because there's no reason to drown. Jesus has died for our sins. All of our debt has been paid. Our sins have been covered. Our blood was put on him so that we are covered and he has offered us his righteousness so that we are covered now in goodness. Accept it today. Agree with him that that is the best plan to fix your problem. First of all, agree that it's a problem. Second of all, agree that his way is better than yours. Stop trying to fix it yourself and do it now. Because the last lesson here is lesson number five. True repentance is trusting God. We'll finish out verses eight through 11. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. So what David's been saying the whole time, I am trying to tell you what to do. I am a teacher this morning telling you what to do. The student's response should be to do it. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. He's just like doing this thing, you know? <laughs> He's like, right here, me and you, I'm watching you to see what you do. It's your move. Your move, guys. I laid it out there, your move. I'm watching you. I'm, I'm praying and hoping that you do what Jesus has said to do. But I'm watching you to see how you will respond to this. Don't just be hearers of the word, but doers, not deceiving yourselves. Be not like a horse or a mule, which should go without saying. <laughs> just in general, that's good advice. Don't do that. <laughs> Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with a bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. David's goal this whole time has been to teach you the way you should go. Please, for the love of God and for your own soul's sake, do what he says. Get on the boat while there is still time. Repent today because the offer is available today. And now he's sitting back and saying, it's your move. What do you want to do? Don't be like a horse or a mule. They will go with you where you want them to as long as you have a leash. But they're not, their heart's not in it. They don't trust you. They just have a thing in their mouth that's making them go where you want them to. And they're like, fine, whatever. You know, like it's, it's, either, it's easier than fighting against it. It just hurts my mouth. You know, I don't like it. Or if you're a dog, it just strangles your neck to push too long. So you know that dog who like eventually just gives up. You know, it's like, fine, I guess we're going on a walk, whatever. You know, because it's just easier than choking to death. <laughs> it's like, fine. But they are, their heart's not in it. That you can lead them where you want them to, but they're not there because they want to be there. And that's not what David wants for you. He doesn't want you to be at church this morning because your parents made you come. He doesn't want you to be here because you got to like check in with somebody or, and they, they're going to be upset if you're not here. He wants you to be here because you want to be here. Because the grace of God isn't that we have to confess our sins. It's that we get to. 
The good news is that you can confess your sins and expect God to forgive you. The promise is if you confess it, I will forgive it. That's really good news. So don't feel like, oh, I've got to go take communion, I guess. Stupid bread. <laughs> like, because I don't want to be the one guy at the table who's not doing it. So I guess I should probably do it. I guess I, I should sing because the guy next to me knows that I'm not singing. He can tell I'm mouthing it. D- David wants more for you than that. <laughs> he wants your heart to be in it. Trusting God. Actually doing what he says because he wants to. Like, don't let your relationship with God, the closeness of it, be determined by the length of the leash. Like for some of you, you're only as close to God as long as the leash is. If he gave you more leash, you'd wear out a path as far out as that perimeter as he'd let you go. So conversely, don't let your closeness to sin be determined by how long the leash is. Like don't ask the question, well, how close can I get to sin without being in trouble? You've already lost if that's your goal. Like you want to dance as close to that perimeter. Like this is sin. Well, can I snuggle it? <laughs> can, I, can I hold hands with it? At what point is it too far? Why is that your heart? Why do you want to be close to sin? Trust God that it's actually bad. <laughs> Trust him that he's actually good. You shouldn't need, a, a dog that loves you doesn't need a leash. It wants to be by you. And so that's his lesson. Don't be like a horse or a mule who just like without understanding only goes where it's forced to go. Repent in a true way. True repentance is trusting God. Actually agreeing with him and saying, I agree with him. I believe him and I trust him. Whatever he says, I believe. I believe that my sin is worse than he says it is. I believe that grace is greater. And that leads us into a time of communion. That's how we respond here at Anthem Churches, by taking communion. And what could be a better picture of sin and forgiveness than communion? Nothing more powerfully, visibly displays that sin is serious than the fact that Jesus had to die. And nothing communicates that grace is greater than we could imagine than that Jesus actually came and died. Like those two things meet on the cross. The fact that sin is serious and that grace is great. And Jesus rose from the dead. He didn't stay dead. So sin is bad, but guess what? Jesus is greater because not only did he solve your sin problem, then he rose from the dead. Sin couldn't hold him down. So he ever lives, Hebrews says, to intercede on your behalf. He is alive. You can pray to Jesus and he will hear you because he's not in a tomb somewhere. He's actually alive. And you can repent and say, Jesus saved me. And he will because he's alive and he can hear you. So as we take communion today, remember, sin is serious, but Jesus is greater. He's greater than your sin. So when the band starts playing, make your way up to the communion table and do it in a heart of faith. Do it in a heart that you want to. Don't just do it because you have to or because you don't want to feel like the one person at the table who doesn't, looks weird that they didn't take it. You can do that, but David's heart for you is so much more than that. Don't you want that for yourself? To actually be bought in and to repent and believe that this is actually the one way that he has provided for us to make the sin problem go away. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word and the clarity it provides. Uh, I thank you that it tells us of bad news only because uh, bad news is real. And so um, I don't want people just to tell me nice things about rainbows and unicorns if that's not the way the world really is. I mean, it sounds nice and it makes for better greeting cards and better songs. Um, But if that's not true then I would rather know what's true and have to face the hard reality of what's real um, than live in that world. But, but not only do you provide that, you are not just the God who wants us to know that sin is bad um, and that you're up um, in heaven with your arms crossed, tapping your foot, um, angry, saying, when are they ever going to get it? These kids are nuts. Uh, why don't they just go to sleep? Why don't they do what I say? Ah. Um, no, you came down. You, you saw our problem and you knew it was worse than we ever imagined. 
and you offered something greater than we could ever have hoped for. You gave us grace that we didn't ask for, that we didn't deserve. And communion represents that, your son in our place for our sins. Thank you, God, for providing a way to solve our sin problem. Thank you for showing us how bad it was so that we can see how great the thing you did actually is. And may the hearts today uh, increase in joy and trust in you because of what you've done, seeing how bad it is and knowing what they've been set free from. I pray that hearts would be set free, that burdens would be lifted, that uh, sins that are covered would come out into the light and that there would be forgiveness, that there would be a lightness of heart as Jesus takes on that yoke next to them, that people would know that they are naked and unashamed before God and man and they could live their life that way. That is true life. And it's found in true repentance and you would offer it away for that, Lord. Thank you, Father, for what you've done. Amen.